You know how filmmaking is notoriously easy to do? Oh, yeah. It's a fucking breeze. Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I honestly don't know why more people aren't filmmakers. Yeah. I never, I've never cr- you know, cried from overwork and exhaustion on a film set. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, you see, our problem is we're just incredibly unlucky. You think so? Yeah, but not the unluckiest. I mean, that can't be possible, right? Like, we, like we've... Oh, we're incredibly unlucky. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're just poor. Like we're poor. And... No, yeah, we're poor. We're poor. Uh, we've made one feature in a bunch of shorts, and you know, yeah, yeah, right. we're we we haven't had nearly as much opportunity or resources with which to fuck up, <laughs> or or to be un- or to be that unlucky with. Let's say, uh, unlike the gentleman who is the topic of our podcast today, who, who is, is who is who is the topic of our who, podcast today, Jack? Uh, well, the, the title of this episode, in my notes at least, is "The Many Misfortunes of Terry Gilliam." <laughs> I'm excited. I can't wait to hear about all of this. I, I'm coming in relatively blind on this too, so I, I'm I'm thrilled. So, uh, as promised, I guess not last week's episode, but the part part one of Mac and Me, we wanted to try different things, and yeah. I've always been fascinated with just how miserably unlucky <laughs> Terry Gilliam is. Filmmaking is one of those things where. Like, I think a lot of people bring bad luck upon themselves or, like, quote-unquote bad luck, like, misfortunes. Sure. Filmmaking just fucking, like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter how pre- – oh, you're prepared? Oh, no. it yeah, preparing it for genuinely, years? It genuinely does not fucking matter. No. Like, when – I mean, hell, when we were filming American Curse, like, <laughs> we we ran into so many unexpected <laughs> fucking problems and not, not even just the months leading up to the yeah. production uh, or, you know, the year that we delayed the production or the during the production itself. It's just, it, there's constantly yeah. just shit that would pop up that we had no way to anticipate. Yep. <laughs> I get I was, like, the only thing I have to add to that is even in my pre-ramming speed days, mm-hmm. I still had terrible luck with film. Sure. But <laughs> having gone through what we did on American Curse, I'm like, oh, that's, that's like easy mode. Yeah. Is what I did before. Oh, we were pulled over by the cops with a fake gun. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> 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 we, we were caught in abandoned, you know, apartment buildings. <laughs> nothing. 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 <laughs> you lost your set the day of production. Oh, All Jesus. right. That's fine. That's that one sounds rough. That was that was rough. But <laughs> yeah, filmmaking notoriously hard. Hey, welcome to Drazzled, <laughs> the podcast that takes award winning worst films and fixes them. I'm host Jack Colbertson here to suffer alongside me as always is also host. Hello, everybody. Uh, as we stated, we're going to do uh, whatever whatever I wanted to do today. Hey, yeah, it's, my, it's my birthday. Like, it it, it is I your want. birthday. We just celebrated your birthday last night before this recording. <laughs> we sure did. Uh, <laughs> and as I was telling you before we started, I won't be outrunning horses today, but I will be trying to outrun my hangover. Yes. My impending hangover. <laughs> uh, you, 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 you were... <laughs> Rip you, roaring. You were having a good time. I was. I did. I did have what I. The parts that are. I remember. I. I quite enjoyed. <laughs> it was a good party. Yes. I've taken two electrolyte packets. I'm hoping that helps. Uh, it. It does. Or I'd already be fucked. Yeah. This um, is fair. So we'll. <laughs> we'll see. 
what do you know about Terry Gilliam as like a base level? Uh, so I know he was a, uh, among the Monty Python crew. Most notably, in my mind, he is uh, the gent with the coconuts clapping <laughs> together in uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. He sure is. Is it uh, Chauncey? I think it was. His, I think it was his name. Is it? It might be Chauncey. It might be. I don't know. What I thought it was Patsy. I don't know. It. it I'll have to watch it again. You know, it's an excuse to watch it again. Yeah. There we go. Uh, so I'll, <laughs> I'll report back. This episode back, I guess. was great for like an excuse to watch a bunch of movies. Yeah, um, I'm sure it was. <laughs> well, I think I told you that I had watched Brazil before. I know I had watched Brazil at some point, but I think like like I had mentioned to you, it was during one of like a, my college friends' movie nights, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The, so there was like a lot of talking over the film happening, and everyone, myself included, was drunk. So that's that's kind of a film you have to pay attention to. A little yeah, bit. it really is. Um, it was one of the handful of movies that I watched when I had the death flu in college. Oh God! Where I had like the flu for like a month and a half. Jesus Christ, yeah, man! It, it was. <laughs> I thought I had it bad when I had swine flu. Jesus! <laughs> like other colds came and went, but the flu remained. <laughs> <laughs> My mom eventually took me to the ER, and the doctor's like, "What the fuck's wrong with you? Like, why didn't you come here sooner?" <laughs> I'm like, "I'm poor. <laughs> I'm a college student." <laughs> yeah, but I, I like watched that, like Blue Velvet, the entire third season of Lost, and I don't remember any oh, of it. Jesus Christ, uh, <laughs> man! So I. Uh, I rewatched Brazil and I liked it much more this time. Good. Okay. I'm yeah. glad to hear that. I, I, I want to go back and watch that. Um, I've obviously, we watched, um, uh, the adventures Baron of Baron Munchausen for our, our last season collab with, uh, with the cult worthy podcast. And I've heard, a, I've heard some tell of how difficult the filming of, uh, the man who killed Don Quixote was, because yes. that seemed like. The production that would just refuse to die, uh, or was maybe killed and brought back several times. I don't know any of the details behind that, cursed. other than it took a long, cursed is the word. long time. Cursed, yeah. yeah, that is a very good word for it. Um, I mean, also, uh, obviously, I know about the fact that he was filming uh, with Doctor Parnassus with Heath Ledger, and then Heath Ledger yes. died. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's a that's a good place to start with with Terry Gilliam. Okay. Uh, so he is the only. American Monty Python. Oh, I didn't know he was American. Mm-hmm. Yes. Huh. He, he has since renounced his citizenship, mostly for tax reasons, because he was paying taxes from both the U.S. and Great Britain. Yeah, that sucks. Um, <laughs> and he's like, I don't really go to the U.S. unless I absolutely have to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can see being done then. Yeah. That makes, that makes perfect sense. Uh, which we'll, we'll get more into his, specifically his politics uh, in a minute. If I'm not mistaken, there's some shit there. Yes and no. Yes and no. Okay. Um, yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, okay. So he he specifically joined the Bonnie Python group as an animator. Oh. So all those animated bits were him. Were him. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Uh, he he didn't usually like he was hired to exclusively to do the animated bits. He wasn't hired to be a performer. He would just kind of like. So he, he was like a side python. Right. Right. Huh. Uh, so they like, threw him in like uh, background roles, or if they need like a third guy to like say a line, he would pop in. Okay. And then he slowly became one of the pythons. Just worked his way in, endeared yeah. himself, showed he cared. Yeah. Well, yeah. he also he had a background with, I think it was Michael Palin, 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 Palin. I think I think it's Palin and Terry Jones. Sure. Uh, who had done like a children's show. Oh, that's Which is neat. wild to think about. It really is. <laughs> uh, but he he had done some animation for that show. And so when they were like, we need some animation for Monty Python, they brought him in. So that's yeah. how have that. Uh, Natural fit. So when the, the 
the show, Monty Python's Flying Circus, ended, it continued in a series of films, the first of which being Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yes. Uh, <laughs> who he plays the coconut man. Uh, <laughs> the man making the horse clompies. Which the, occurred because they couldn't afford horses. Of course not. Uh, so <laughs> it ended up being like a wonderful fix. Uh, one of the best jokes in the film. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. And on that film, he and the other Terry, Terry Jones, mm-hmm. who I think played Sir Belvedere in the film. I couldn't tell you. Um, it's been a little while since I've seen it as well. Yeah. They co-directed Terry focusing mostly on the performances, whereas Gilliam focused more on the visuals. Sure. Because there were some notable animated bits throughout that. Yes. And like Gilliam has the visual eye. Yeah. After that, he then went on to start directing his own films. Um, he only directed that first Monty Python film. The other ones, I, I don't know who directed them, but not not Gilliam. I would guess probably Palin or somebody yeah. else more experienced in the troupe. Yeah, or, or even like a third-party director. Um, also possible. So the way I've laid out the script mm-hmm. is I just took the filmography of Terry Gilliam, researched what went wrong, and... Movie by movie, that's how we have it. So you're just yeah. gonna you're just going yeah. to you're just going to steamroll me with all this misfortune all at once. Yes. <laughs> just I think it's important to understand him. You need to know something that happened before he So he, he was an animator. He didn't start out as an animator. He started out as a, a poli sci student. Okay, okay. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. Specifically in the sixties in California. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um I don't I think he's from like the Midwest originally, but he went to school in, in California. Okay. He also dressed like a filthy hippie. Sure. Yeah. Like which, you do. Which makes sense. Like all the, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so he, he didn't have a whole lot of money or he did have, he had like a, a decent amount of money, but he looked like a dirty hippie. And I don't, I don't say that as like a derogatory term. Just, uh, I say that <laughs> because the cops pulled him over because he looked like a dirty hippie. Yeah. No, that's, it, it's an aesthetic for yeah. sure. So he had, he had like a decent car. And because he looked the way he looked, they thought he stole it. Cops are cops, and because it was a nice car, they pulled him over and accused him of first stealing it. Yep. And then when he's like, "Nope," they're like, <laughs> "Oh, so you must have like a rich girlfriend whose dad you're milking for money." Which I'm like, that's an oddly specific. That's, yeah, that's a weird narrative you just wove. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, so you must you must have seduced some rich heiress. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I assume what? somebody was working on their novel and. <laughs> We're trying out bits. I don't know. Uh, Miguel and Cuddy, you got to stop with this. <laughs> you just stop bringing your outline on patrol. Yeah. I, I don't need you to shop your script to me. Just send it out. <laughs> He's a freshman. He's a poli sci major. He doesn't care about your script. <laughs> um, so he had come from like, you know, the Midwest where he's like, why he didn't have any problems yeah. being a live <laughs> yeah no, um, he's not, not exactly the most threatened person right well because of what happened to him with the police it broke through his white privilege and he was able to see like oh i was mistreated because of my appearance this has got to happen all the time with people who look even more different than basically a cop yeah <laughs> especially if you consider the time period the early 60s what would happen happen then uh i think um mr ed but that was earlier. Maybe Star Trek. Uh, the first there were some Star Trek in the 60s. Early, early that was like later 60s, though, oh, was I think. I always, wasn't it? I always place it earlier, but I think you're right. I'm actually. pretty sure it was later 60s. No, it was the Civil Rights Movement. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Um, 
Yeah, uh, the U.S. was kind of going through this wild, uh, wild thing called the Civil Rights Movement. I'm. This is not the episode that I'm going to dive into that. So, what a time to be a poli sci major. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, any time in the U.S. is probably a fascinating time to be a poli sci major, but especially then when things are were so set in their ways and then got flipped on its head. Yeah. Anyway, that's anyway. when he was like, "Fuck all this." <laughs> I'm I'm going to be an animator, and thus he did. So now we know what happened after that. He started hanging out with my Python people. Went on to do the the show. It was extremely successful. Inspired uh, a little show called South Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And eventually did a, had his first directing gig in 1975 as uh, Money Python and the Holy Grail. Followed in 1977 by his first solo directing film, Jabberwocky. Jabberwocky. Yes. Okay, I've not heard of this actually. Outside of the confines of the the poem right. and Alice in Wonderland nonsense. You know, before I started researching this episode, I, I wouldn't have described myself as a Terry Gilliam fan. Yeah. Um, I'm like I'm like aware of him in, in his films, but then I went through his filmography. I'm like I've seen all but t- like two of these. I I think I might be. <laughs> <laughs> you may be a Terry Gilliam fan. Yeah, and not that I like them all, but I find them fascinating. Sure. Like well, the next one we're going to get to is Time Bandits, where it's not a film I I like love, but I find very interesting. It's a fun title. But Jabberwocky is one of the ones that I have not watched. I think this one and then one of his more recent films. Okay. Jabberwocky is I w- I want to say it is also similar to Holy Grail in that it's like medieval uh, set. Okay. Um, I feel like that makes sense for that kind of thing. Yeah. Because uh, I think it is based on the poem. Oh okay. Have, have you have you read the poem? I have. Yes. Okay. Friend of the podcast, Steve Luciano, uh, can recite it from memory. It's a well. I hesitate to say it's a good poem. It's a f- bizarre poem. It is a bizarre poem. Um, but it's fun. I it's love fun. it. I, I love yes, it. fun is the way I would put it. Uh, the poor old blade goes snicker snack and all that. Yeah. Um, Mumraths. Mumraths. Grape. Yeah. So the, there, there were misfortunes on Jabberwocky, but as we kind of described earlier, <laughs> it was the easy mode. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. So what what were his what were his like wee weenie baby uh, misfortunes on yeah. this production? <laughs> yeah, the ones he'll so soon long to wish he had. <laughs> yes. Um. He, he had a. He had, it was a fairly low budget, so they had to uh, reuse specifically a corridor of I think a castle from like different angles to make it look like it was bigger than it is. Sure. That sucks, but also that's a standard issue. Like you, you get into a space and you realize it has some different things you need to work with or some different quirks that you weren't expecting. So you just have to, you have to refigure your shots a little bit. Pay in the ass. Nothing huge. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily call it a misfortune. It's a, it's a, it's yeah, it's an annoyance. Yeah. Uh, Again, because of the budget, he was only able to do a lot of times only able to do like a single take. Oh, yeah. Um, well, he's also got, like, amount of film on hand that he yes. has to worry about at this point in time. Yeah, we, we, we didn't have that problem. <laughs> no, no. I, if we... I've I've shot one thing on film before, mm-hmm. and that is very much a concern where you're like, how much film do we have? How yeah. much does it cost? Because it... It's it expensive. Costs, yeah. And then when you get to the end of what you need to shoot, and you're like, I still have an extra three minutes I can shoot. It's the <laughs> best day of your life. <laughs> Uh, so I, I, I feel for him there. Uh, but other than that, it was, it was, you know, it was a movie shoot. Sure. No other, no other big issues on that one? Not, not that I've seen. I will say ahead of time, we're very, we're we're just dipping our toes in a lot of this. 
there are a number of his films where the misfortunes are so vast, there are entire books on it. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Brazil specifically has a book. I think Baron Munchausen has a book. Oh, I would love to um, read the book on Munchausen. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to. And I, I know Criterion for their Brazil release has like a documentary on like, wow, that sucked. <laughs> I think that's specifically what, it, what it's titled. Um, so after, you know how Criterion releases <laughs> right. releases those things like, man, what a fuck up or dang, that was hell. Those classy fellas. Um, so after Jabberwocky in 1981, he followed up with Time Bandits. Sure. I have not watched this movie in quite some time. But I don't believe I've seen it. Later, we'll discuss a, a one Mr. Matt Damon. <laughs> okay. Who is an outspoken Terry Gilliam fan. Oh, I didn't I didn't actually know that. Yes. Huh. Specifically for this movie, because he grew up with it. It is geared a little bit more towards children, but movies of that time didn't treat kids with, like, gloves. So, is that the word I'm looking for? So you're, you're thinking... So you're thinking of, uh, of uh, kid gloves. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's not referring to treating children carefully. That's referring to ch uh, gloves made of baby goat. Yeah. that They didn't use those in it, 1981. They didn't use those. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Poor baby goats. Basically, they weren't, af they weren't afraid to scare kids. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. They didn't pull or to have like a darkness in the film. They treated, they treated a child audience like an audience as opposed to a, you know, a, a, a thing they have to walk on eggshells around. Yes. Even th though that said, the movie has a decidedly downbeat ending. I mean, sure. <laughs> uh, which the producer and the studio, I don't know. I can't remember what studio released this fought to cut and Gilliam fought to keep it. And this time he won. He won. So that was, that was his big trouble with this one. So they, so they kept the downer ending for kids. Yeah, they sure did. All right. Wu-Tang um, is for the children. Thank you. It's <laughs> again, I haven't watched it in a while, but I, I reread the synopsis. I'm like, that is a bizarre ass ending. And I, I <laughs> he has, he has explained why he wanted to keep it, but fucked if I remember fun factoid about time bandits, they wrote the script, him and Charles, I'm going to say McCune. And in it, there's a character who plays is a king. And they're like, we, uh, in the notes, in the, like the character notes, they describe the character as somebody who is as regal as Sean Connery, but not as expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who I, they got I to uh, to play him? Who? Sean Connery. I was going to guess <laughs> yeah. that. Shit. <laughs> yeah, Sean Connery read the script and was like, no, I'll do it. I'll, I'll take a cut. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> God, I need to rewatch that film. Uh, they had talked about doing a sequel for a while, um, and then that fell through for reasons I'll get to in a moment, and they were talking about doing it. TV series and I, I oh wow they were really they, they were yeah. really banking on some uh, some success out of this here well that was recently they were going to do a time oh recently time. yeah oh okay I wasn't aware of this like there was enough demand in the years following Time Bandit that they wrote a sequel but there were two things they the in the entire original cast was going to come back um, except for I'm going to say his name is David Repapore okay and I think I'm quoting here because he's a dick <laughs> David Rappaport's a dick? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the movie's like a kid and a bunch of little people. Okay. Um, that's that's your like core cast. And then like Sean Connery comes in. Well, one of 
the little people apparently was a terror to work with and thought he was the main character, even though it was a child, uh, <laughs> and would make everyone kind of like work around him. So this is David Rappaport? This is, this is David Rappaport. Okay. And every, everyone's like, we're not bringing him back. No. Uh, and the second person they didn't bring back is uh, Tiny Ross because he passed away. Wow. Uh, and the the main little person, Jack Purvis, this is what ultimately killed D. I'm sorry. His last name's Purvis? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm um, so, sorry to Jack. So he was he was like the main little person. Yeah. That is the terminals, right? I, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. fine. He had been paralyzed in a car accident. Ooh. And they actually rewrote the script to around that. Oh, so, so, they, was, so they accommodated this. Yes. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, he, he did pass before they were able to get into production. Damn. Yeah. So time back. That, that's the misfortune stuff is more like the sequel they wanted that's but didn't get. Really sad. Yeah. God damn. Uh, the actual movie was, you know, he had to fight for the ending, but. Again, we're still we're easing into the bullshit. Yeah. So, so yeah, I would say the, the ending's not quite a misfortune because he won. Right. He he, yeah. he actually won that battle and got the ending he wanted. The rest of it though, that's a downer. That's pretty sad. Yeah. So uh, it's not gonna get better. Um, <laughs> let's. <laughs> uh, several years later. Do I need to be drinking during this? <laughs> well, the original plan was that I was gonna give you a glass of scotch and have you drink every time oh, you God. felt bad for Terry Gilliam. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, but I have to drive today. That's you have to, you have to drive. Work. I'm already hungover, and it's <laughs> n- like one in the afternoon. That's fair. Uh, so just drink in your heart. I will pretend my heart is scotch. Okay. <laughs> so in 1985, he did Brazil, which I would say is probably his most acclaimed film. I would agree with that. Yeah. Have you, you, okay, yeah, you just, you watched it at a party. I don't remember Um, it well enough. Yeah, like I didn't, I wasn't able to sit there and give it the attention that it needed for it to really sink in for me. I want to say that there are three cuts of the film. Okay. There's the 142 minute film, which is, is. The theatrical? Technically, it's the fifth cut of the film. We'll get to it. Uh, But it's Gilliam's preferred. Okay. Then there's the 94 minute version. There's an hour and a half Significantly shorter. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. And that version is um, light spoilers for Brazil. Sure. That one is referred to, I think, Love Conquers All cut, where it basically gets to the point where it's a happy ending, and then there's like- It just stops. The end. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. I can see why he didn't want that cut. No. Well, it's- God, I I should have wrote this down. There's a Twilight Zone episode- one of the more famous ones, but not one that has like action figures. Naturally. Um, that is about a, I think, Civil War soldier who is about to get hanged and is like saved by whoever. The whole episode is him kind of like doing soldiery things. And then at the end of the episode, it cuts back to him. And it's that's what he was seeing right before he was hanged. Oh, no. Yeah. So... I guess full spoilers for Brazil. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> so that that inspired Gilliam to write the ending he did, mm-hmm. which is all of the shit happens. Mm-hmm. The man and woman finally escape, only to after that moment have paratroopers come in and raid them and take them to go oh. be tortured. And you're like, that sucks. And then you see, it looks like, and it might actually be the bottom of like, um, like a nuclear silo, like it's 
huge. Wow. And at the center of it is like a dentist torture chair. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. I do remember this famous image. image. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, Michael Palin comes out in a baby doll mask. Yep. Yeah. That, I definitely remember the baby doll mask. <laughs> I, I, I was watching it and I'm like, oh. This is this is like Silent Hill Four, <laughs> with the weird baby doll mask monsters. Um, especially there's a like a dream sequence where they're on all fours and like chasing after him. Anyway, oh god, it's a, it's a fantastic film. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna need to, I'm gonna need to go back and give that the attention yeah. it deserves. So the baby doll dentist Michael Palin shows up, is about to torture him when Robert De Niro and his fellow um, I don't even know what they call them. They're like gorilla mechanics. It's gorilla a, mechanics? It's a weird movie, okay? <laughs> Robert De Niro plays a gorilla mechanic. He, like, intercepts a call for, like, my pipes are burst. And he shows up instead of the uh, legally oh, approved. interesting. Yeah. Huh. And he's like, gotta stick together. Sorry, you said gor- you said gorilla mechanic, and my oh. brain jumped to the animal? <laughs> I, I didn't. It's, I didn't, I it's didn't a very think, weird film, but it's not. Yeah, I thought of a very different usage of the term gorilla, <laughs> right? Uh, or a different word entirely, actually. Yeah. So that's. I had some fun images of Robert De Niro tinkering in the right. back of a fucking silverback. Fuck. I, I, which Gilliam is not above doing that. I would. Uh, I wouldn't put it past him, which is part of why my brain did that. But, uh, so, like, there's a big action sequence. Everyone's saved, and yes. like. Everyone escapes the horrible dystopian future. Yeah. And then it cuts back to Michael Palin, Palin kind of like wiping his gloves off and he's been tortured to death. And that's yeah. the end of the film. That. It's whew, super bleak. Yeah, that's bleak as hell, man. So the Universal didn't like that. Sure. As studios typically don't. They wanted a happy ending. So they assigned not one, but two editing teams to recut it. What the fuck? There was the regular one, which Gilliam was aware of, and then there's the secret one that he was not aware of. Wait, they did a secret cut behind yeah. his yeah. back? Yeah. Because they knew he was going to, like, throw a fit and, I don't know, yeah, burst in there in a mechanical gorilla suit. <laughs> so they had... This... <laughs> well, Gilliam's got a gorilla mech. We can't <laughs> fuck with him. He can't ever find out about this. So, uh, Universal had... Cut the film down to 94 minutes, consumer friendly. They hadn't released it yet. And uh, Gilliam and the head of, or whoever was in charge of Universal, fighting back and forth. The movie was not being released. So what Gilliam did was he took out a full page ad in Variety, begging Universal to release his cut. Wow. So like, All right, I'll embarrass you into releasing it. Yeah. I, I kind of love that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was going to say, like, I, I'm feeling bad. I'm going to have some of that heart scotch right. here until we got to more gorilla <laughs> right. shenanigans. Uh, but yeah, no, that's absolutely fucking do that. Yeah. Get your vision out there, man. And then Universal said, no. Piss. <laughs> <laughs> However, they did release a 132-minute version only after... It won several awards at the Los Angeles Film Critics Association. Huh. So it, it you know, it made it like won awards for the full full length cut. For, for the for the, the normal cut, the, the Gilliam cut. Correct. Okay. And after that, Universal's like, fine, but take out these 10 minutes. So that's how, okay. So that's how it ended up at that runtime. Okay. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. There, I, I remember reading years ago that 
Gilliam had to run from the U.S. back to Great Britain with an actual cut of the film to save it. I think that might have been an exaggeration. But again, there's an entire book on the making of this film. I'm going to be reading it. Yeah, that's. I I want to, I want to know I want to know more specifics about what happened there, like what that battle had to have been like. Yeah, I will say from having watched uh, Lost in La Mancha and some other interviews with Gilliam, I don't think he's an easy person to work with especially if you're like a producer or a studio head. I'm glad he got his vision out. And the like auteur in me is like, yeah, fuck him. But <laughs> they're also paying for your movie. <laughs> they are also paying for your movie. I don't, I just, studio interference is just yeah. like such a fucking pain in the ass in my brain. Like on the one hand, yes, they're paying for your movie, mm-hmm. but they are paying for your movie because they, be, because they believe in your artistic vision and they believe you'd make something people want to see Ooh. to put butts in seats, right? Hold on to that thought. Okay, I'm going to hold on to, to that. Get- Unfortunate. <laughs> Great. Uh, is this still tied to Brazil? No, we're done with Brazil. Which, okay. uh, should we take a break? Yeah, let's take a, let's take a quick break. All right, welcome back. We are covering the many misfortunes of Terry Gilliam. That we are. We've just gotten through Brazil, so I'm excited to see what mm-hmm. comes next here. Do you know? Do you know what movies? I don't. Brazil? No, I don't know the chronology of his mm-hmm. releases. Yeah, I kind of have it separated in my head as like early, middle, newer. Okay. And I, I would say this is probably the turning point in his career uh, or the first turning point, because even though Brazil was was a clusterfuck, it still got him a lot of awards and acclaim, kind of the ability to do his weird because his movies are weird. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He followed up Brazil with 1988's The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Oh, so Munchausen was next. Mm-hmm. OK. I didn't realize that was right after Brazil. Or, yeah. OK. And I'll put it like this. So. Because of even the Brazil was successful, because of that shit, and because you know he called out a studio exec in a <laughs> in Variety, yeah, he was given this movie, and with the way that went with Baron Munchausen, he he lost a lot of the power that he built. Sure. So this is uh, famously the movie that is. Dangerous for children <laughs> to be on. Uh, <laughs> specifically, Sarah Polly. She plays the lead uh, actress, the little girl. Right. Not Bear Munchausen. That would be hilarious. That would be um, hilarious. <laughs> Very different movie. She came out later, and I'll get to when exactly, because it's important when. Mm-hmm. But she later came out and said that it was a very dangerous set to work on. They work a lot of overtime. Um, a lot of the explosions. Because it's a pretty action-y movie. It is. There are a lot of big action mm-hmm. set pieces in this movie. And they're, uh, and it's all practical. It's all, like, it's it's fairly dangerous in a lot of situations. Yeah. Gilliam disagrees. He said it was a very safe set. Blah, 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 blah. I'm going to lean with, I don't think he thinks he's lying. <laughs> I think that's a good way to look at it. Like, he, in his mind, he did everything that he could do to make sure it was safe. Yes. That doesn't mean it was safe. <laughs> Correct. So Sarah, Sarah Polly has a lot of bad memories with it, but also a lot of good memories with it. Right. I think I remember going over some of that when we were when we were doing our episode with Antonio. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, check that out on the Cultworthy podcast. Yes. Uh, it was, that was a fun episode. It was. Uh, another actor who appears in the film is Eric Idle, who... <laughs> yes. Oh, God, I, I love, love him in this movie. Uh, I think played Sir Robin. 
He, I believe he was brave, Sir Robin. Yeah, he, Eric finger I- quotes brave. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Eric Idle is probably, if not my absolute favorite Python, then at least like uh, top three. Like he's he's fantastic. I think that John Cleese would probably be my favorite if I didn't have to ever hear him talk outside oh, of performing. If yeah, if he if if John Cleese never got a Twitter account, oh, yeah, just. Yeah. But Eric Idle, Sir Robin was my favorite. Yeah, in that movie, that's, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> So he was quoted as saying that he he loved Gilliam's films. Mm-hmm. You should absolutely watch them. Go check them out. Don't work for him. Oh, <laughs> he's man. Like, and he, he, was, he, he had said that prior to doing the film. So he's like. Oh, he said that prior to doing Munchausen. Yeah. Okay. I think at this point, the only Python who had worked with him was Michael Palin. Okay. Post, post Pythons. Okay. And he, Gilliam specifically said he didn't want to ever do a film with more than one other Python because he, he didn't want to like lean on that as uh, on like the tr- on that troop as like the the recognition or the uh, well, the that, reputation for why people are going. That and when Jabberwocky came out, which was his first film after the Pythons, uh-huh. it didn't do well critically because people are like, this isn't funny. Oh, because they were expecting. Monty Python stuff. Yeah. And it, it is a little bit more, uh, to my understanding, it's a little bit more of like a sketched thing. It's like scene, 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 a little disjointed. Okay. Um, like Monty Python. But it's not. Like it's his style, not yeah. their style. So he said he, he liked, clearly he liked working with a number of the fellas. But he said, I'll never work with more than one in a film. Just, so, so I guess simultaneous, simultaneously, it's that he doesn't want to lean, he doesn't want to ride the Python's coattails for his right. own success, but he also doesn't want to sully the reputation of the Pythons by having their their performances in his work misrepresented as being Python, Python. work. Yeah. Okay. So this was the first one he did with Eric Idle, who <laughs> plays another kind of like very odd. Um, <laughs> I don't think he's quite cowardly. He, but he, he just he runs really fast. He runs real fast. Yeah. No, he he runs into situations real fast. Yeah. But he he does run real fast. But the reason I bring up Eric Idle, besides him being awesome, is he and Robin Williams, who's in the movie for a brief time, yes, would hang out and play with Sarah Polly. So like that's right. Distract, yeah. Kind of distract her from how upset it, upset she was. No. Um. Her, uh, them, and uh, a very young Uma Thurman. Right, because this is Uma Thurman's like first film appearance, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. She was 18? I th- either 17 or 18. Yeah. I, I hope 18. <laughs> I, I hope 18, Given yeah. that she was playing Aphrodite, right? Yeah, I mean, she's like nude Pretty in the much, film. Yeah. yeah. Working opposite Oliver Reed. <laughs> which, <That's> a... <laughs> oh my God, like, he, he was an actor. I think Gilliam likes to work with actors that are explosive. Yeah. That other directors won't work with. Mm. He likes to try to channel that. He likes to channel that chaos energy. Yeah. And by God, Oliver <laughs> Reed, uh, famously known for having a terrible drinking problem. Oh, God. Um, and a bit of a temper. Uh, Those go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. He he was what? Hephaestus? Or do they use Vulcan? Wait, what? In the, in the film. Um, he plays Aphrodite's husband. Who was Hephaestus or Vulcan or I can't remember. It doesn't. Oh, it doesn't I, I don't. I don't know my my um Your Greek mythology. Yeah, my yeah. my mythology is lacking, unfortunately. Yeah, whatever it is, he plays a, a, an angry god. Yeah, and apparently uh, Uma Thurman had no problem working with him as far as being able to put up with this bullshit and give it right back. <laughs> All right, good for <laughs> yeah. good for Uma. Yeah, hell yeah. Sarah Polly has nothing bad to say about Uma. 
basically like they she would go and mother her basically between scenes so yeah lovely uh so that's all the good things that i had to say about that film okay uh or you know for this episode we've said good things about it no it's yeah i think i told you it's like one of my top three for him yeah it's a great movie i I thoroughly enjoyed it but what what else went wrong so much so much let's let's hear it let's do that um so much in fact that when i was watching the lost in la mancha documentary they kept referring to munchausen as like i don't want this to be another munchausen please don't let's be another munchausen yeah (laughs) so my god remember when you said that you want a producer or studio that believes in your vision yes he had that until he didn't yeah because the producer that was working on it with him was ousted by a new producer and the new producer wanted to bury everything that her previous you know the previous producer had done oh boy uh and did everything in that she could to to bury this film that um, sucks and she only worked with um, I, I can't remember if it's Universal or not, but she only worked with that. Co- it might have been Columbia. Anyway, regardless, regardless, she only worked for them for like two years before she was kicked out. Wow. Um, there's a lot of financial problems with that was going that were going on that w- movie with the company in the 80s, sure. right? Like it was going on with the previous producer, and she kind of like inherited that issue. Yeah, and didn't do much to fix it. Um, that tracks. So at one point the puppeteers for this film were promised a bonus if they were able to get the puppets done on time. Hell yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah. That's a big undertaking, puppet making. And like things were already behind schedule and the budget was ballooning. Like this is famously, uh, the budget went way over what yeah. it was scheduled as. Um, so the puppeters, they did it. They got it done on time and they went to, to her and be like, hey, so where's our bonus? And she's like, um, didn't didn't the previous guy say that? Uh, she did eventually give it to them, but oh, she good. said, do not tell anyone because I don't want anybody to think that I'm doing something nice for Terry Gilliam. Fuck off. Yeah. Like, good lo- You're not, it doesn't. It, <sighs> the, the biggest issue was the previous producer and Terry Gilliam said like, okay, well, here's the budget. This is what the budget is going to be. Mm-hmm. Wink. Oh. They had like a handshake deal. <laughs> uh-huh. Always, always get that shit in writing. Yeah. Make sure that shit is signed. Make sure there are copies made. Yeah. Everyone has a copy. Like every time Gilliam would need more money to do whatever new crazy thing he, he thought up, he would go to this producer and be like, hey, we're going to be over for this. And the producer's like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Until he was ousted. Yeah. Gee, I wonder why he was ousted. <laughs> Yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. I want to say that he was. I don't think I wrote this down, but I want to say that he eventually went into British politics and like did quite well for himself. Really? <laughs> yeah. Huh. Um, but since that doesn't really relate to the movie, I didn't write it down. Uh, another terrible thing that went that occurred on that film. So the role that Robin Williams plays originally was going to play be played by Sean Connery. Right. Yeah, the King of the Moon. Yeah. <laughs> until he argued himself out of a job. Because remember, <laughs> I vaguely remember yeah. this. Walk me through this argument one more time, because I do. I like. I have a vague recollection of it. Well, basically, you know how in Time Bandits he took a cut to be in the film. Yes, reverse that. He he was not willing to take. He a was cut. not willing to take a cut. Yeah, he wanted more monies. Yeah, 
and eventually was enough of a pain in the ass that they fired him. Okay, yeah. However, because of the timing of that, it shut production down for two weeks. Ooh, God. Yeah, that's rough. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of time. So Gilliam said, like, hey, while we're figuring this out, do not stop building the sets. Because when we get back... We want to jump right in. We want to jump right in. Do you want to know what they didn't do? Build the sets. Build the sets. Oh, guys. So they arrived. Were they directed by somebody else to not build the sets? Or did they just kind of putz around? I'm assuming they were probably told not to. But unknown. Unknown. Okay. So they showed up two weeks later with the actors. The sets weren't done. But no sets. Yeah. Uh, However... Despite all this bullshit, this did lead to Robin Williams being hired. Sure. Because he he basically hopped in to save the day. How, He's not credited either, if I'm not mistaken, right? Which is what I'm about to get into. Oh, okay. So he said the the only way he'll do it, because he was also a famous actor. Yes. At that time. If he's uncredited and they don't use his name to sell the film. Okay. Right. Okay. I think I vaguely do remember that, which... Good lord! What like, yeah? That's like that's a hell of a move for somebody to make there. Like, yeah. like I'm like I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna save the day on this movie, but do not use me to plug it. Yeah, that I'm I'm wondering like 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 what what is the thinking on that decision on his part? I know why he did it in Aladdin because he did the same thing in Aladdin where he took yeah. a massive pay pay cut and he made the deal with Disney. He's like, I'll take this pay cut. You just can't use my name to promote it. Like. They'll still use it, like put his name on it, but they won't like put him up front. Yeah. Uh, and the reason for it at that point was he was coming out with a pet project, I think toys. Okay. And he didn't want people to like go to the theater and have to choose between Aladdin or toys because they're going to choose Aladdin. Yeah. And they did. And they cause, did. Because Disney. Because Disney did not respect his wishes. And then he, Correct. he famously did not come back for, uh, for the next Aladdin movie. Yes. I don't think that's the case now because that would have been – Aladdin was like what, mid-90s? That was in the 90s for sure, yeah. We're, we're still in like 88. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know what, it, what the case was for Munchausen. But but the movie came out. It was more or less what he wanted it to be. Hollywood just hated him after that. Yeah, the, the there was still a bad taste in everyone else's mouths from, yeah. the, from the variety thing. There was that, and it went way, 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 way over budget. Yeah. It was known as a problematic set, the, like, two-week debacle. All all of that just kind of people weren't willing to give him money to make a Gilliam film. Man. So what happened is they gave him money to make not a Gilliam film. So he, he, he his penance was to do one for them. Kind of. He's kind still of. Terry Gilliam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is Terry Gilliam capable of doing the one for them, one for me setup? No. And that's the, the answer is no. <laughs> no. Okay. The closest he comes is 1991's The Fisher King, which is Robin oh, Williams yeah. and I think Jeff Bridges. Okay. I believe. Um, I've, I've seen that one. It's one I didn't care for at the time. I probably need to rewatch it. I would like to watch it. I, I still haven't seen it. It was one I'm like, oh, I'm going into this expecting a Gilliam film and it was like Gilliam Light. Gilliam Light. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is one of the ones that, like, mostly everything went fine. So he didn't mostly. write this. Yeah. Okay. He didn't write the script. He was brought in to direct. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that, it's not even that it went 
wrong. It's just unfortunate in, in hindsight. A lot of the scenes, there was a number of scenes with Robin Williams mm-hmm. where the scene would end and Williams would want to do another take. Always want another another one. He's like, I can give you more. Yeah, and, that's the kind of performer he is. He, yeah. he, he, want, he wants to explore it. He wants to improv it. He wants to throw more behind yeah. it. Well, there's a scene where his character has essentially like a mental breakdown, like loses everything. Oh, geez. And he wanted to do it again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And Gilliam could see that it was just wrecking him. Yeah. And kind of like at the time, he's like, this guy's got some demons. Yeah. So um, he's tapping into the well on, in an unhealthy manner. Yeah. That's, oh, man. So with how event, uh, eventually Robin Williams took his own life. Yeah. Extra unfortunate. Yes. That, uh, oh, God. So not not hurtful to the film itself, but awful. Yeah, that 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 just in and of itself is is difficult to experience and is, I mean, even in the moment, like really unfortunate and, and kind of upsetting. Yeah. And then in retrospect, yeah. more so. That is ugh, that's um, hard. Yeah. So he didn't do another film for like four years, which isn't bad. Yeah, no, that's that's, that's a typical right. gap for a lot of for a lot of directors. But he was able to do a film that was more along what he wanted to do. Sure, uh, and that's 1995's Twelve Monkeys. Okay, now this one, I if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. has a lot of acclaim behind it. I, I I very much enjoy it. I can't remember if it has acclaim or not, but it's it's really good. The way that Gilliam was able to do it was he took a massive pay cut. Okay, that's one way to go about it. Yeah. His only request was that if he's going to basically do this movie for free, that he get final cut. Yes. And I, they did. They gave it to him. Good. <laughs> yeah. I think Bruce Willis also took a big pay cut. Really? Yeah. Huh. What is amazing is that Brad Pitt didn't have to take a pay cut because he wasn't famous yet. No, he wasn't. Yeah. This, this is this is very early Brad Pitt. So, yeah. Well, during the middle of filming is when all of his movies came out that made him famous. So they basically got oh, Brad God. Pitt for like a huge discount. <laughs> they got in right under the wire. Yeah. So not misfortune, fortune. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it's, I, I don't quote me on this. I could be wrong, but I feel like Brad Pitt did get some kind of award nomination for this. Possibly. But yeah. I, 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 we could look into that later, but yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right about that. But he took the role ex- extremely seriously. He went and um, like hung out at, at mental institutions, did a lot of research. It's one of one of my favorite performances of his. Uh, so anyway, when they first released the film, the first cut of the film, it didn't. It appeared to not do well at screenings. Okay. And the studio asked for major changes. However, the producer Charles Roven and Terry Gilliam, who also attended these screenings, would talk to the audience members afterwards. And while they had some issues with it, they generally loved the film. They just Felt like shit afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's really, it's a real fucking downer, but I loved it. Yeah, just, yeah. So it's like, did I, I enjoy like this, it? I feel like no, this, but it's good. I feel like this movie punched my mother in the face, but yeah. man, it was a good time. It's it's not a happy film. So Gilly made some cuts, but again, he had final cuts, so he didn't do he, more than what he felt he had to do. Sure, he, he did the minimum in terms of what he felt yeah. he had to cut without sacrificing what he wanted out of the movie, which, good. <laughs> You know what? When they released it, it made five times its budget. Fuck yeah. yeah. There we go. So you, you're thinking, hey, nothing bad happened there. That's wrong. 
horses. God, fuck. <laughs> they tried to kill Gary Gilliam, and I hate them for that. <laughs> <laughs> you said we weren't running from horses this time. I'm not. Gilliam is. Oh, no. What, okay, what, what so, happened with these horses? <laughs> apparently he likes to ride horses, so his bad. And <laughs> <laughs> so, so he should have known. So he should have known. He, he had a near-fatal... Uh, riding accident. Oh man! Um, he did show up to set as soon as he could, heavily bruised, and worried that his ac- accident was going to like upset his creative vision. Like he wasn't going to be able to have the control over the oh, film. Because of course he is. Yeah, of course um, that's his immediate concern. Like, but you're bleeding pretty heavily. But yeah. my film. Oh god, that reminds me. I don't. I don't know how I ended up on this set of TikTok, but I started. I've, <laughs> TikTok thinks that I am a massive wrestling fan. <laughs> Okay. Which, like, I, I enjoy watching it from time to time. Sure. But, you know, yeah. I, I do enjoy huh. the stories of the behind-the-scenes shit. Oh, that stuff's wild. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's there was a famous match between The Undertaker and Mankind. The one where he got thrown off at the top of the Hell in the Cell? Not that one. That was, that's rough. Oh, was, was it the first Buried Alive match? It was the, man, they have a lot of great They've matches. got a lot of really good um, matches together. It's great. It's, it's where he goes into the boiler room to, like, drag Mankind oh, out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, they filmed God. that stuff the night before and then just like, you know, played it and then jumped oh, into the course. live stuff. Yeah. Um, as you Like you do. do. Yeah. It's a How good about... opportunity to give you to give the give the players a break. Right. Kinda. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> they had to match continuity. Well yeah. when Oh no. I think Undertaker took like a dive off of a, a ladder, as you do. He got a big gash on the back of his arm. Yeah. And the doctor who's on on set with him I was like here let me sew that up and he's like you can't because continuity continuity yeah he's like, but he doesn't have it in the video he, he... or wait no it happened during the video yeah so they so, wait so they had to cut his arm open whenever he came back out he just didn't sew it up oh my <laughs> god like, let it bleed <laughs> like is it real no but <laughs> Does the physicality occur? Very, very much, much yes. so. Yeah, no, like, 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 like the act of it is not real. They still have to do the physical yeah. shit, though. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's stuff does still happen to people. <laughs> oh, uh, I watched so much of that era of of wrestling as a yeah. kid. Like it. Like, oh my god, was I, that late eight, late nineties? That was late nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I through like late nineties to early two thousands was when I was actively watching it. Like the like, what became the Attitude Era was right. Okay. Yeah, that was that's when I got into it. I had that pay per view whenever Mankind got thrown off the top of that Hell in a Cell. I watched that shit happen live. Yeah, I watched the videos of it. I'm like, you should. How are you alive? Mick Foley, by all by by all accounts, should have been dead long ago. But <laughs> he's I'm still alive, right? Yo, he's still kicking. Yeah, like of all the other wrestlers who have passed, he is he's somehow st- still. He kicking. is still alive, and I'm glad he is. He's a great guy. Yeah. Apparently, he seems like a really nice guy. Yeah, which like I've always known him as is that personality. So when I got to see him in like early mankind where he's just like out of his gourd and yeah. like crying and laughing at himself like this is terrifying yeah no he goes so far into his yeah. characters like even fucking dude love like <laughs> he really leans in anyway anyway that's for our podcast one of the podcast <laughs> wrestling ouch um <laughs> so that that's the worst that happened in the 12 monkeys like it it's really bad yeah it's really bad um, i mean i'm glad that nothing 
actually related to the production right. was that bad, but still like that, like he could have died or been yeah. like paralyzed or something yeah. like that's. Uh, so this brings us to 1998's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I always forget this is a Gilliam movie. Which like, yes, but also it's definitely a Gilliam film. Like I, it has all of his. I still haven't seen it is part of the problem, it's, but. It's fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's Hunter S. Thompson. So yeah, of course yeah. it fucking is. But... Like Thompson was still alive and yep. Depp was in, I would say his prime. Sure. Did a lot of heavy research. He wasn't just like relying on his name. Oh, he was, the... he was, he, he took the role of Hunter S. Thompson very, very yeah. seriously. Yeah. There's a, a famous photo of him. And John Cusack and Hunter Thompson with like a blow up sex doll. <laughs> I've seen that picture. Yep. I have absolutely seen that picture. Because they were all pals. And yeah. they hang out. I'm like, for... <laughs> Depp and Thompson, I understand. But Cusack? Cusack, I would not have guessed, but. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, I think that Depp slept in, in Hunter Thompson's basement on like an army cot. I believe that. To, to research him. And only like once he was getting ready to move out that he discovered he'd been sleeping on like old sticks of dynamite <laughs> sweet jesus <laughs> yeah that no this tracks this absolutely fucking tracks <laughs> there's an, there's an old clip of conan um, yeah well, hanging out with hunter s thompson yeah yeah it's like squealing and shooting a machine gun <laughs> and firing off fireworks and shit just <laughs> yeah. yeah dude dude's unhinged oh god yeah if i'm not mistaken he, when he died he had his ashes put into fireworks yes yeah <laughs> just, um he had his symbol that he used when he ran for i think sheriff oh, i forgot about that yeah um, that was the two-thumbed fist yeah with like a bullet thing in the middle mm-hmm. um so that was the head of the cannon <laughs> and i th- i think johnny paid for a good amount of it but probably other, other friends that were famous also paid for it and shot his ashes in the space another <laughs> one who unfortunately took his own life did he yeah oh i didn't realize yeah. that I just thought somebody fucking right. did kill him. You would him. think, just right, like, yeah. yeah. Like, no, if, any, nobody, if anyone was right. going to die by, like, horrible happenstance, it would be fucking Hunter S. Thompson. Sleeping on top of dry sticks of dynamite, <laughs> yeah. In his compound. Um, but no, the movie, uh, you know, it was a movie. No, no. I, th- there was a lot of issues with making Fear and Living before Gilliam. Like, it had been in production. It was in production hell for a long time. Oh, that I was not aware of. But... The actual once Gilliam came on, it was just like the perfect mix of bizarre personalities. That you're fucking, you're fucking telling me that the Hunter S. Thompson mm-hmm. movie yeah. is the one that didn't have any fucking misfortunes during production. I know, I know. Benicio del Toro, Johnny Depp, Hunter S. Thompson, Terry Gilliam. You, you think it would be a disaster? I'm beside myself. Yeah. I don't. There I'm, were some scenes that Thompson didn't <laughs> like. And in his Thompson way, would say would disagree with, but sure, you know, yeah. I think there's a scene where I think it's Gary Busey. I think Gary Busey lays a big old smooch on Thompson's uh, Johnny Depp's Thompson. And <laughs> Thompson te- uh, did not like that. <laughs> For God's sake, man! Which <laughs> he's like, that didn't happen. That's out of character. I'm like, it's not you. It's the cop. <laughs> but anyway, um, I. I it's a weird film. It's also kind of a downer, but of course, of course, it is. Yeah. So I'm glad that worked for him because the next film he tried to make was the man who killed Don Quixote. Oh, we're already up to that. Uh, 2000 was his first attempt. Do we want to take a break before we jump into this? <laughs> or um, let me take a quick note or take take a quick look. 
Oh God, yes, yeah, because like, you, you, there's not a whole lot to, to mention because I I put all the Kyoto stuff at the end. Yeah, but you know what he did after that was the Brothers Grimm, produced by the Weinstein's. Oh no! So yes, let's take a break. <laughs> let's take a break. <laughs> Psst. Hey, you want to get doomed? I'm Tessa. And I'm Nicole. And we have a spanking new podcast for your ear holes called Doom Generation. Listen in as two foul mouth biddies have an always casual, often comedic. What? I think we're funny. And sometimes chaotic conversation about the things that doomed us to be who we are today. Take a trip with us down nostalgia lane and we'll try not to veer off the road. Available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Doom Generation Pod and on Twitter at Doom Gen Pod. Later, Later Doomers. Doomers. All right. Hey, the Brothers Grimm. The Brothers Grimm. Let's do this. It is uh, one, of the, one of the films I like the least of his. Okay. Uh, so just establishing timeline again. Yes. This is, this is after he's taking his first attempt to do Don Quixote. Don Quixote. Yeah. But we're going to talk more about that later. Yeah. I just put all the Don Quixote stuff. At the very end. Yeah. Okay. So, okay, so Brothers Grimm. 2005. 2005. Starring Matt Damon and Heath Ledger. Interesting. Uh, okay. Yes, Matt Damon being a huge Gilliam fan from Crime so Bandits, big deal for him. Yes, there there were problems with the movie, and it almost entirely has to do with the Weinstein's. Fuck. Okay. What 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 did they do? Do we? I feel like our audience probably knows who the Weinstein's are, but I if, if for some reason you don't know who who the Weinstein's are, um. Was that must Bo- be awesome for you. That must be great, <laughs> actually. Actually, good lord, I kind of envy you. Was it Bob and Harvey? Yes. Is it, yeah, Bob and Harvey Weinstein. Uh, they they uh, have been film producers for years upon years mm-hmm. upon years. They founded Miramax, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Uh, named after their parents. Named after their uh, Mira, Mira and Max. Max. Yeah. That's right. It's like obnoxiously cute. It's obnoxiously but also cute. Fuck them. Yeah, it's ob- it's obnoxiously cute until you remember all of the all the sexual assaults that Harvey committed yeah. and all the careers he fucking ruined. Like diabolically, comedically evil type. Yeah. Shit. Like absolutely. He was just recently sentenced to yeah. uh, to a lengthy prison term, which is going Thank to hopefully God. kill yeah. him. Rotten hell, you fucking piece of shit. Yeah. It's it, which is really upsetting because Miramax was a, a fantastic studio. It, so much great film came out yeah. of Miramax. It's just it's ah, god damn it. They uh, produced at that time produced all of well up until the point of which he was running from the law. Yeah, produced all of Tarantino's films. Did mm-hmm. a lot of like indie ish or indie films. They were responsible for Kevin Smith's career. Yeah, yeah. The flip side of that. Is, and, and Miramax was um, the parent company was Disney. So oh, I I didn't know that part actually. Yeah. Oh God. So when I forget what happened, but they split from Disney, and that's when they formed the wine. I think the, the Weinstein, Weinstein company. company. Yeah. yeah, which doesn't exist anymore. I no, think. I don't believe it does, and nor should it. No. So this, I I think this would have been. Still under Miramax, I can't remember for sure. It doesn't matter. Possibly, I'm not. Yeah, regardless. Regardless. Yeah. Um, the the flip side of Miramax, they they brought in a lot of great movies that would otherwise have not have been made. Yeah. They were also obnoxiously hands on. Yes. Which is a problem when you have directors that are more in the the vein of an art tour. Because Harvey would totally re edit films yeah. if I'm not mistaken, which sucks. The only 
person that he really didn't fuck with was Tarantino. Yeah. Like, which on the one hand, I get it. Yeah. But, but also, hey, maybe, maybe don't do that for anyone the, right. else either. That's not your place. Like a lot of, a lot of studios will fuck with filmmakers and what they're trying to make, but not as bad as Harvey did. Yeah. Specifically, I think where it's obnoxious, if not downright problematic, is when he would buy a foreign film that was already made to release in the United States. And he's like, American audiences are dumb. We've got to recut this so that they can digest it. Um, Either dumb or impatient. Like if it's a longer movie, he'll cut it down. Or if like there's some scenes that would upset in in a traditional uh, middle America audience, he would cut cut it. I I hate that approach Mm -hmm. to filmmaking and film distribution because not only is it fucking insulting to audiences, but it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy to where audiences just become trained to expect this stuff. Yeah. God damn it. It makes me so angry. Have faith in your fucking audience. Yeah. Anyway. I, I, maybe this is just me. I like a movie that challenges me. (laughs) Yes. Like, confront me with shit. Make me feel something. Like, God damn it. Like, I don't want to be treated... I don't want to be treated with fucking kid gloves. Yeah. <laughs> Just like <laughs> those baby glo- goat gloves. Yeah. Yes, they're soft and nice. <laughs> also, you have to murder a baby goat to get yeah. them. That's, that's really the downside that's there. That's really the downside there. And I just save so, the baby goats, make good films. <laughs> like I said earlier, I the first time I watched the Fisher the Fisher King, I didn't really care for it, but I I want to try it again. Yeah. And we just had a very long conversation with Antonio about this. Yeah. Uh we're like, you know, the first time I didn't like it, but I it challenged me enough that I do want to try it again. Maybe I'll still dislike it. But Maybe. I like Brazil much more now. One, because I didn't have the flu. And <laughs> because I'm a little older and more knowledgeable and understand greater societal blah, blah, blah. Anyway, yeah. the Brothers Grimm. Oh, dear. <laughs> First issue, right off the bat, Gilliam and his writer, Tony, uh, I'm going to say Grissoni, are not credited for writing the screenplay, even though they did, because the Writers Guild of America is bizarre. How the fuck did they get screwed out of credit then? What good fucking question? <laughs> <laughs> I've not been able to wrap my head around the way the the writers guild works. So it's just like a mystery then, like why like why they it's, didn't get credit for this? It it has something to do with like the number of people that worked on it before them. You know, the, I think the very first person that works on a script always gets credited regardless of if they threw everything mm. away. Uh-huh. Um, the the person credited is Aaron Kruger, who I think did the middle to the second and third screen movies. Okay. Which were also Miramax, if I recall. Yeah. Anyway, because they weren't able to have themselves written down as screenplay writers, they invented a credit called dress pattern makers. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. That's really funny. (laughs) And they, they say they didn't really make the film off of a screenplay so much as they just followed a dress pattern. (laughs) (laughs) Which, that's one way to do it, I guess. That's really good. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Um, (laughs) So some of the Weinstein's involvement. First, Gilliam wanted to cast Sarah Morton as the lead female protagonist. Okay. Weinstein said that she's not traditionally attractive enough. And I had you uh, on you, a break okay. pull up yeah, an that image e- of that explains, Samantha Morton. Yeah, that explains why you had me pull up an image of her while we were on break there. What? Yeah. Yeah. She's beautiful. Like, yeah. What are you fucking talking about? Yep. 
Oh my god. Don't listen to a fucking rapist whenever he yeah. tells you yeah. like a woman's pretty or not. Like ugh, god damn it. I you know, I can't remember yeah, who I know they, they did didn't cast. know at the time, but like I'm so angry. Another way they affected casting is Gilliam likes to work with people he's worked with before. Right. Yeah, he has yeah, he has he has a, any and most directors have like a yeah. stable of people they typically work with. Yeah. They not that not that actors are horses, but <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time, not. Yeah, I mean, you, you like form a common language. You kind of know what right. to do and not to. Anyway, yeah, you know how to work together. I want to say it was for the Matt Damon part. I could be wrong, but I think Johnny Depp was supposed to be cast as the Matt Damon part. And this is wild to think about, but he wasn't famous enough at the time. And also, the Weinstein's basically made the career of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. That's also true. Yeah. So, oh, God. Yeah. Another thing he did is Damon wanted to have like a, a nose prosthetic to make him look. I don't know. I don't know. Some, some, not like Matt Damon, I guess. <laughs> this. So when they did that joke in Ocean's Thirteen about oh, the I no, Ocean's Thirteen, you haven't seen Ocean's Thirteen. No. There was a whole bit about Matt Damon's character wearing a fake nose <laughs> and how he like transforms into a different fucking person whenever he's wearing it in, yeah. the, in the midst of this film. And that like there's this continuous joke about how the nose plays, like it actually like the nose actually works. Is uh, that a fucking reference to this? It might be. <laughs> it might actually be. The Weinstein's said like, "Why are you going to cover up our pretty boy, Matt Damon, with a nose?" Absolutely not. But Matt, it was Matt Damon's idea. Yeah. No, he wanted it. <laughs> he Matt wanted Damon it. wanted the, the nose plays. <laughs> Come on. You know what is the best part about kind of kind of the reverse situation of what happened with with Brad Pitt? What? So Johnny Depp wasn't cast because he wasn't famous enough. While they were filming the movie, do you know what movie came out? Oh God, Pirates of the Pirates Caribbean. Of the fucking Caribbean yeah. is yeah, absolutely right. So. <laughs> The opposite of Brad Pitt, who became famous while they were filming with him, they didn't cast De- Johnny Depp, and he became a megastar. It's also insane to that the, the idea that Johnny Depp was not famous enough in 2005, yeah. be- even before Pirates of the Caribbean, I think is an insane assertion. Yeah, that's dumb. Agreed. They also fired his cinematographer, uh, Nicola Pecorini. Say. Nicola Pecorini. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm, I'm really know. hungry. Now I'm just thinking about Ooh. Pecorino Romano cheese, which is my favorite cheese. I've and, heard of it. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's like, you know, you know how Parmesan has like that, uh, like that, like that, that kind of bite to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just bitier. It's is bitier. It has more pungent bite to P- it. It's, pungent oh, chompy cheese. Yeah. I'm in. It's so good. Oh, mm, my God. Nicola Pecorini cheesy. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. Uh <laughs> Uh, so at one point, the fight between Terry Gilliam and the Weinsteins got so bad that they shut down production for two weeks. What? Two weeks? Again? It's, it's a weird number. But yeah. How was, does this keep happening? I don't know what was resolved or not resolved, but eventually the movie got stuck so bad at the editing phase. Oh, okay. Uh, that Gilliam left the movie for six months to make the movie Tideland. Tideland. Yeah, I've never it's even a, heard of this. It's a lesser-known film, but I I do enjoy it. Okay. Um, I was at the exchange yesterday and found it in the horror section. I'm like, is it? Hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> I never. I thought it was just like a very dark drama, but no, they're, they're, they do tan Jeff Bridges. Um, <laughs> oh God, <laughs> that's. I'm gonna have to look up Tideland. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, we're gonna get to that in a minute. Um, <laughs> so he went, did Tideland, came back. And they 
finished. I think he probably at that point he just gave up and he's like, just fucking put the film out. Yeah. At this point, he just he said to wash his hands of it. Yeah. Uh, which I have a quote for. Uh, but first, so Lena Headey was in this film. Lena Headey, really? Yeah. And during the Me what, Too movement. Was she, ca- wait, was she cast instead of Samantha Morton? You know, I don't know. I, I thought that she was the like evil witch, but I haven't seen this movie in a long time. Okay. She could have been the evil witch now that you mentioned it. Any, anyway, anyway, so she said during the Me Too movement. She came out as saying, like, the Weinsteins bullied her. And I cannot remember, and we'll get to this. I can't remember if she said that Har- or, or that Gilliam bullied her, too. I think she, she did. Huh. This is where we start to see more of the bad side of his politics. Mm. Um, because he's he's very liberal. Um, okay. There's, there, in one of the, like, behind-the-scenes features of Tideland, he finds out that George Bush... George W. Bush won the one election. Re- one re-election. And yeah. fucking lost his mind. Oh, God. I think he shut production down for that day. I, God. Yeah. Like, he t- he had, like, a, a video journal. Mm-hmm. And, like, that day, just was, like, it's just, like, him screaming and just being upset. Wow. Um, not to say you can't be liberal and a misogynist. Yeah, that those things do, those things are not mutually exclusive. No. Uh, <laughs> Especially in the early 2000s. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. So I, again, I think he's a director that the movie is really more important than every other thing in the world. Yeah, I mean, that, that is kind of a pitfall you can fall into. I will say that's not true. And that's probably especially not true on the fucking Brothers Grimm. Fair. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that tracks. Given the experience he's having with the Weinsteins, yeah, he probably wouldn't give nearly as much of a shit about this no. fucking movie. I think there's more there, but I, I didn't write it down. I do have a quote from Sense of Cinema, and I apologize for saying this writer's name. Masapesa, I think, came out in September 2009. He asked Gilliam, in the end, is it the film that Bob and Harvey Weinstein wanted? Gilliam says, no, it's not the film they wanted, and it's not quite the film I wanted. It's the film that is the result of two people or two groups of people who aren't working well together. Pesa asks, what did they want? I don't know what they wanted. How could I know what they wanted? They didn't know what they wanted. (laughs) They wanted a big, successful, wild adventure film. They kept saying they wanted a Terry Gilliam film, but they really really wanted a Terry Gilliam film with their involvement. Yeah. I mean, is Gangs of New York a good film? Marty, as Marty Scourge Daisy, said almost the same exact quote I said without us knowing it. Quote, they took the joy out of filmmaking. There's just something about them because they want to be filmmakers, but they're not filmmakers. They're great salesmen, which I would I would agree. Sure, I'll I'll give them that. They're great marketing people. They're fantastic. Which is what would you want? What do you want out of a production company? Yeah, but they want to put their fingerprints on it so they can say it's their film. And if they're working with people like Marty or me, you just can't do that. It doesn't work. So that's no. how Gilliam feels about. Wild. I'd never thought of Gangs of New York in that light before, actually. That, yeah, that's fascinating. Huh. I'm just I'm gonna assume that Scorsese has a little bit more clout and therefore was able to fight for more of his style. He's fucking Marty Scorsese, right. good lord. Yeah, and now I want to look into like how the making of Gangs of New York. Yeah, I I, I want to do like an in-depth academic like comparison of those production situations now. Like yeah. that's kind of wild. Oh, I just remembered why. Gilliam made me want to vomit with the Me Too movement. Why? Holy God. Um, okay. 
So when Lena Hetty, yeah. is that her name? When she came out, Me Too movement said all the shit with Harvey. I think, I think Harvey tried to take her back to a hotel and sleep with her, mm. and she rejected him. And it, it was obviously a bad scene. Yeah, Gilliam's response to that was that this is a part of the film industry. Terry, yeah, Terry, yeah, come on. And that well, oh, was that his response at the time, or was that his response to the like the Me Too era accusations? Yeah. Fucking hell, Terry! Yeah. Come on, yeah. Especially at that point, we like like we now at that point it was revealed he was a yeah. fucking rapist. Yeah, come on, that's not part of anything. There's no yeah. room. There should be no room for that anywhere. And like, it's it's wild to me. Well, it's not. It is. It is wild. I'm gonna say it's wild. The number of individuals who started out. Very liberal during like the hippie movement because he he was a self proclaimed dirty hippie. Yeah, who have since become disgustingly. I, I don't think he's a conservative, but like has conservative views, has sure. some like very dated views. Yeah, who who have particularly like misogynist or bigoted views. And, yeah, yeah, and that the, the is it's so fucking pre- prevalent. Yeah. throughout the ex like the community of ex hippies, it is. Like the hippie movement was a fucking sham. It's so right. it's so yeah, fucking like, stupid. Like that the the levels of misogyny and assault and bigotry throughout that fucking community is uh, And that's not to speak about people that are currently identify as something hippie-esque. That's, sure. that's an entirely oh, different generation. Yeah, no, there's an entire different generation that have like taken those aesthetics and taken it in a, yeah. in a in a you know a more progressive direction in some ways. And not that it's not also without its problems. Right. It's but, uh, but it's just that th- specific movement that very loudly shouted, We are this, and then immediately did the opposite. I just want to point out that that entire generation was boomers. They were they those yeah. were the baby boomers, yeah. like so yeah. Uh, look, look where that went. It's it, it was this point in writing the script where I'm like, wow, I you've had a lot of misfortunes. I don't feel bad for you now. I do feel bad for the other people that were also on the film that had to deal with the shit. Yeah, but he's very outspoken, and I wish he would have taken a moment to think, even if that is quote a part of the industry. Maybe it fucking Maybe shouldn't. It shouldn't. Maybe it fucking shouldn't. Maybe it was a part of the point of the Me Too movement. Yeah. Yeah. You think it through for like half a second before you, you know, shoot your mouth off. Are you ready to be more upset at him? Sure. So <laughs> kind of at the same time, well, in the middle of making Brothers Grimm, he did Thailand. Yes. Uh, 2005 as well. The lead protagonist of Thailand is a, a little girl. And hmm. that is when Sarah Pauly spoke up about what happened to her on Baron Munchausen. Oh. Because the mother of the actress, who I think got the part, contacted Sarah Pauly, knowing that she was a, a young girl at the time that she was in a Gilliam film, casting yes. Gilliam film, asking her for advice. And Sarah Pauly said, don't do the movie. Oh, do not do the movie. God. And wrote like a long letter to Gilliam, like saying like, please tell me you've grown. Like this is, this this is what happened to me. And Gilliam basically like, that's not, that was not my experience. I, I was as safe as I could be. <sighs> Um, when somebody tells you what their experience was, yeah. your experience does not override their experience. Yeah. Like, I, I don't understand why that's so hard for some people to to understand. Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck. So because of his response, that's when she went public with it. Right. Of, of Which I, I don't blame her. That I, I, would, yeah. I would also no. do that. So as far as I'm aware, that was 
the only thing that happened during Tideland. Yeah. That is, I would, I would chalk that up as less a misfortune yes. for Terry Gilliam's production than the result, uh, like the consequences of his own actions. Yes, <laughs> like, absolutely. Fucking hell, dude. So, uh, it doesn't get better from here. No, um, I think I know what's coming next. Yeah. So in two thousand nine, yep, he released the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus. Yep. God, I I remember when I found out that Heath Ledger passed. Because I remember there was there was some hype behind this movie because of Heath yeah. Ledger being in it, especially being his first movie post post Dark Knight. Well, I think it was I anyway. I don't. I think it was filming as like right before Dark Knight was released. Ah, yeah. Because um, Heath Ledger passed away prior to the release of Dark Knight. Yes. But I, I, I think I've apologized before, but I'm sorry again, Chris Anthony, for calling you a dickhead. Wait, what? Um, so. <laughs> I was in um, Foster. Was Foster's the big one? Big dining hall? Like the cafeteria style yeah, one? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one I bust tables in. Yeah. Ah, yeah. So I was like, we like went to grab some, grab a bite and Chris Anthony came up to me and was like, did you hear Heath Ledger died? And I was like, fuck you. That's not funny. <laughs> and like walked away. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> sorry, Chris. I don't think you actually heard me, but I'm sorry anyway. <laughs> you that's not funny <laughs> that's in in retrospect like with some time behind it yeah it, it, that's pretty funny it, that yeah that's pretty funny. Kind of funny but but holy shit <laughs> sorry sorry chris sorry chris uh why am i apologizing i didn't do that <laughs> anyway oh <my> anyway <laughs> so he he thought passed away i i still don't quite understand what happened i don't know that yeah, the, I mean, it, it seems like it was an overdose. Yeah. Um, I remember there was there was a lot of uh, a lot of public specul- speculation of um, I think Mary Kate Olsen having given him something that he should not have had, and because it, she it didn't... was a bad medical interaction with something. Yeah, because she didn't immediately call. She didn't immediately call for an ambulance. Right. Apparently, she, I think yeah. she called an agent or something. I, yeah, I don't know what. It, I, I don't think there's any. I, I don't. Th- I don't think it's her fault. By no, stretch the imagination. It's she. That weird. That weird world that they all live in is is bizarre. And and she grew up in it. And, she and all grew that up weirdness. In it. So like, yeah. Who like? Yeah. You, what the fuck do you do? But unfortunately, he he passed, which really sucks. Yes. Phenomenal performer and amazing fucking actor. And my understanding, all around, a pretty decent yeah. guy as yeah. well. Like just. It's um, a damn his, shame. His own demons, but I think they were more like personal demons, not like he hurt other people. Right, stuff. right. So because of that, I, I, I use the term luckily very loosely, but because of the narrative of the story, they were able to use other actors to fill in for that character. Right. So I think Johnny Depp and I think Colin Farrell. Mm-hmm. And, and Jude Law. And Jude Law all, all stepped in. So it becomes a four-actor role at that point. Because they had some recorded mm-hmm. with, with Ledger. They had a good amount, yeah. Yeah. It was all of the, I want to say all of the re, quote-unquote real world stuff was Ledger. And then all of the fantasy world stuff was the was other actors. The other yeah. And they were all friends with Heath Ledger. And Gilliam specifically said, there were other actors that volunteered. He's like, that's very sweet. I want to keep this kind of in the family reasonable i i can't say i blame him for that specifically tom cruise wanted to help that's weird yeah (laughs) i don't 
That yeah. feels like one of those. You remember that? Like uh, there was that, that video that came out in like the mid in the, like the 2010s or like the late aughts or something, mm-hmm. where it was Tom Cruise doing like one of his talks about Scientology, and he goes on this weird tangent about how you, when you when you're when you're going down the when you're driving down the highway and you mm-hmm. see someone pulled over on the side of the road, you just know as a Scientologist, you're the only person that could help. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? You might actually be the least. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, right. Tom. Um, yeah. It's, it's like, it's like, yeah. This feels like that where he sees the thing. Yeah. and goes, I'm a Scientologist. I can make I'm the situation the only better. That can fix this. I'm. I'm the scion of L. Ron Hubbard. I can do this. Like no. You no. Know, I'm glad they did not go with Tom Cruise for this. Agreed. Um, and all three actors who did help uh, donated all their income to Heath Ledger's daughter Matilda. Good. That. That's so sad. Like, it really is. That's fucking heartbreaking. Um, I... So, aside from that, the the film was a film. The production um, went smoothly. Aside from yeah. from that, I mean that's that is a major that, fucking right. like that is a major fucking like damper to put on a on a production like that like that yeah. will, that will hang over everything and as it should like that's yeah. traumatic as fuck for everyone for everyone there. God, and they really did keep pretty much everything he did because there's a I, I watched it when it first came out um there's a scene in which like is hard to watch knowing that he fled your past yeah if, if you're just watching the film it would have been like oh that's sad but like not awful but because because if this is yeah. posthumous it's yeah. yeah so i'm like i'm glad you kept the performance because it was great but fuck that was hard to watch <laughs> um, yeah it just it like just tears the wound open again yeah so after dr parnassus uh, he went on to do uh, the Zero Theorem, which is the other one I have not watched of his. Yeah, I've never. I don't think I've heard of the Zero Theorem. It's uh, Christoph Waltz. Oh, uh, sci-fi film. Um, I th- so he did a lot of. I'd watch the hell out of that. Yeah, I, just, I do want to see it. Just based on what you've said right there, it's like I'm in. <laughs> um, it leans a little bit more on like blue screen and CGI than I would prefer, mm. but I also understand that Gilliam's not getting the same budget as he used to. Right, and as much, as as great as he is with practical stuff, like yeah. if you don't have the budget for it, you don't have the budget for it. And That's... he still has like a wild imagination, so yeah, it makes sense that he would do that. It's just he again doesn't have quite the same budget that say like a Marvel film would do. Right. So even if this does ease the ability or the inability to do the practical stuff you would want to do, there are still budgetary constraints with good CG. Yeah. So the the biggest problem with this was just that um, it was postponed because of Ledger's passing. Yes. And because of the budget, it was shot in Romania, which is bad. It just just sucks that your budget's low. Yeah. Are we there? Yeah. Okay, let's tilt at some windmills here. Oh, gosh. Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> so his most recent movie came out in 2018, uh, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. That's weird to think that it's been out for that long, considering yeah. how fucking long it took to make this movie. Strap in, my dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a wild one. So it, it's famously one of the cursed movies um in fact don quixote as a story is, tends to be considered cursed yeah uh, orson wells tried to make it and failed i did not know that yeah huh he originally tried to do it in 2000 what we got out of that was the documentary lost in la mancha which is a is fascinating i, I had meant to watch that before mm-hmm. we came into this today but i did not have time to it's god it's, it's heartbreaking everything that could go wrong went wrong yeah 
the nature hated him. His producers hated him. Um, it's always wild when you have to say nature hated yeah. him. That is, oh God. So we'll start with, I'm going to say Jean Rochefort for what? Let's say Jean. Jean uh, Rocher Ford. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, if I was saying it, Jean Rochefort. <laughs> uh, he was cast uh, as Don Quixote. Jean, Jean Roquefort. Sure. We'll say that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he d- didn't speak English. So he spent months and months and months and months learning English. Oh, God. Already an undertaking in and of itself. Yes. Keep that in mind. Shortly before they started filming, they discovered that several of the actors that they'd cast had wildly conflicting schedules, which is... Oh, boy. I'm going to say one of my least favorite problems on a set. Just incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Try, trying to trying to schedule things around when certain people can be in certain places yeah. is uh, real rough, especially whenever you then have to amend some of that time because people miss their buses and then you have to drive <laughs> halfway across the state to go pick said people up and then it takes forever to get them back and you're arriving at 4.30 in the fucking morning. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> yep. Scheduling, man. I hate it. Uh, so th- th- that was a lot of issues. Just like, when could we get this actor? When could we get these two actors in the scene at the same time? Yeah. So let's move on to the very first day of filming where it's this like gorgeous deserty vista near an Air Force base. Mm. Okay. That they had been told would only fly planes for like an hour each day. Okay. <laughs> but in fact... An F-16 flew overhead repeatedly all day, ruining the audio and basically mandating that it, they would have to redub everything in post-production. Oh, God. Which ADR. Doesn't matter because I didn't make it there. Yeah. Shortly after, and by shortly after, I mean the immediate second day, how do you one-up a F-16 flying overhead and ruining your audio? An F-16 crashing? <laughs> that, that would one-up it. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't happen, did it? No, oh, um, it, I think the planes probably weren't flying that day because there was a flash flood for the oh. first time. It wasn't, it wasn't even like flood season. It just like came out of nowhere. <laughs> it washed away and destroyed equipment. It made it so they couldn't film the next day because it's desert. So all of the colors had changed. Oh, so they couldn't God. use anything they'd shot the first day. No. Yeah, it's wrecked continuity for everything. <laughs> the crew spent days recovering the equipment because it was a flash flood. Yep. And Holy shit. <laughs> when they filed with the insurance company, because like, this really sucks, but we have insurance. Yeah. The, the insurance company didn't want to honor the claim. They said they don't <sighs> cover floods in a desert because it's a desert. Guys. Come. Insurance companies are the fucking worst. They truly that, are. That is such horseshit. Like <laughs> flood? What flood? Deserts don't flood. have floods. Deserts don't have floods. What are you talking about, kid? <laughs> Get out of here with that malarkey. I'm not. I'm not giving you money for this. You're a liar. You threw that in the swimming pool. So, I saw you. So that's awful. That's terrible. That fucking sucks. You know what would be worse? God. <laughs> Tornadoes. That would be worse. You're you're good at this game. <laughs> <laughs> Were there tornadoes? There weren't that I'm aware okay, of. Okay, so I'm not that good at this game. I, well, you're good at guessing what would be worse. Okay, fair. <laughs> <laughs> it would it would be worse if your Don Quixote uh, had a herniated disc. 
Ooh. Double herniated, whatever that means. Double herniated. That yeah. means that means it's like bursting on like two sides, basically. Oh my god. Yeah. Y- you know that holy shit, that sucks. I haven't read Don Quixote, I don't intend to. Uh but I do know that he spends a lot of time on a horse. Yes. You know what would be really awful? Having a double herniated disc while riding a fucking horse? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They Oh God. He really tried. He really, really tried. Okay, but we're rewriting the... we're rewriting it. Sancho's going to carry Don Quixote <laughs> the whole way. Just g- gingerly. <laughs> he tried, but you can you can see his pain on the monitor. Yeah, it, like, it, you have to. It, 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 it's gonna come through no matter what. That's that is that is such a staggeringly horrible thing to have to li- to have to go through. Like you're going to involuntarily show that pain, yeah. no matter how how hard you try to force through it. So they actually didn't know it was a herniated disc initially. They thought it was an issue with his colon. Um, oh, so he like went back to I think France to go to the doctors get it all checked out. And in that time, the crew tried to film different scenes with the other. Actors. Sure, like you do. Right. They got Johnny Depp in. He was going to play. Um, Sancho Sancho Panza yeah yeah. so they did they filmed a couple scenes they're god I think the the, everything that happened was unfortunate but like the part that made my stomach turn was they bring in the the financers the financers like visit set and they just have Johnny Depp and a horse and (laughs) it's Johnny Depp has done a lot of horrible things but it was really amazing to see how chill he kept on set <laughs> as everything's going around he's like i'm here and i'm doing my job and everything that happens around me i'm not paying attention to it sure and sure. every take even though the horse is not cooperating i'm going to give my all because he like catches a, a fish out of a river and goes to like beat it to death oh god to eat it okay and like take after take after take does it to this fake ass fish? Yeah, and the horse is supposed to come up behind him and like bump him or something to like get his attention. Horse doesn't give a fuck. Sure. So it's just take after take of Johnny beating up this fish. Oh god! And the financiers are like looking at each other and regretting their decisions to finance this movie. If I recall correctly, this was going to be the largest European only financed film. So, like, no U.S. producers or no new oh, U.S. Wow. financiers were going to touch it. Okay. So, it was, like, producers coming down from Belgium and watching this and be like, fuck. <laughs> fuck. Like, if made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so, they did that poorly. That's when... This is not good, yeah. Quixote returns. And they saw that, like, they knew if they lost him, the production's over. Yeah. But he has a double herniated disc. Yes, he has a double herniated disc. So, so is this where they realize that? Is this where it becomes clear? Or did he find that out while he was away? Initially, they thought it was something that was colon, maybe even cancer. It's not, thankfully. They find out that it's a herniated disc. And he says, I'm going to do it anyway. I'll act okay, for the so, pain. So, okay, this is, so this is where he comes back and they get the footage. You can tell on his face. Yes. That, okay. Yeah. Oh, boy. The DP on this project, who... It was the same one that got fired by the Weinsteins. Sure. Um, the, the cheese, the, the stank cheese. Yeah, yeah. My, uh, my, my, my pungent cheese boy. Yeah. Said, quote, never in 22 years of being in this business have I seen such a sum of bad luck. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really mounting. Like, holy shit. So, and Gilliam had spent two years trying to find 
the right Kyote. Yeah. Despite everything, and then like trying as hard as they can to make this movie happen, it gets shut down in November of 2000. Okay, so that's when they that's when things stop the first time. Yes. Okay. So over the next 17 years, they try to make this movie again, or he tries to make this movie again and again and again. He comes really close when he casts John Hurt as Kyote. John Hurt? Okay. Yeah. And then John Hurt gets his diagnosis. Oh, no. That he's he has cancer and he's dying. Yeah. So that shuts down production. Unfortunately, John Hurt passes. Yep. He finds... You think like okay that all happened, and we know the movie came out. So yeah, at like, this point, at this point, we yeah we now know this movie does exist. It's out there, but it's not done being a a shit show yet. Yeah. So he gets financing from this man named Paulo Bronco. Paulo Bronco. Yes. Oh, that's a name. It is the next time that Gilliam really almost got it made. Okay. It was in 2016, and that's when he connected with producer paulo bronco i think it was it was specifically like at a awards festival like they connected and paulo bronco promised him 16 million euros it's a lot of euros it's not bad it's not anywhere near what he used to get to make movies sure i also don't know what the conversion rate is between euros and dollars so at that point of time mm-hmm. it was pr- they were probably worth less than dollars oh. not by a lot sure like but a little. yeah P- people had warned him to not work with Paulo Bronco, that he's got like a terrible ego. He's a liar. It's like the worst kind of sleazy producer type dude that you could get. And he's worked with Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> so <laughs> Right. <laughs> but David Cronenberg had just made uh, Cosmopolis with him. Oh, oh, okay. And I'm pretty sure the movie didn't do well, but it got made. It did get made. It does exist. I saw it in the theaters. I think I was the only person that was like, that yeah, was mad. I enjoyed it. All right. Everyone else? Hated it. Uh, (laughs) So at that time, Johnny Depp had been attached to the project for a long time. He's like, I will continue. I will. I will make this movie. Absolutely. Okay. But, you know, like 17 years went by. So. uh, Yeah, that's a long ass time. I can can understand maybe backing away from that at some point. Which is. Uh, we ended up getting Adam Driver, which I am. I fucking happy love. With. I love Adam Driver. I did watch this movie. Um, it, oh. I've mixed feelings on it, but uh, I did like Adam Driver. Sure. The Quixote at that time was going to be Gilliam's old buddy Michael Palin. Oh. And this is only important for later. It was going to be uh, the the unit production manager was going to be Amy Gilliam, which is his daughter. Oh, okay. So with this group, they went on to like make this movie, but Bronco was like, Hey, I know I told you I was going to give you this much. How would we give you much less than that? Specifically, he had promised to pay, pay Lim 285,000 euros. Okay. And he cut that to 100,000. So what the fuck? Yeah. Like that is less than half. Way less than half. Yeah. What dude? No. And when Gilliam was like, hey, that like really hurt his feelings, like hurt my buddy's feelings. It is super unfair. Bronco's response was that he needed a true producer and that he is the captain of the project. Excuse me? Yeah. Then he cut Gilliam's personal pay and finally cut his daughter's pay. 
He cut his daughter's pay. Yeah. He said he wasn't allowed to shoot on film because they were originally going to shoot on 35 millimeter. He was going to look too expensive. We're going to shoot it on digital. Okay. Threatened to replace his entire crew and cast. And uh, you know what? That that uh, that did work work for Gilliam. So <laughs> no, for fuck's sake, man. So it got shut down again. Yeah, but it, it like almost immediately got picked up to be made f- this final time. Now with uh, Jonathan Pierce playing Quixote. Um, Jonathan Pierce, okay. Who who is the pet protagonist protagonist in Brazil? So he'd work with him a while ago, but like he'd work with him before. Fascinating. Okay, there, I, I kind of like the circularity of that of yeah. like him coming back around and working with his original star. And like I, I didn't see any of the footage with the previous Quixotes, but I liked his performance in it. So he he's he's the, he is the Quixote in the final yes. cut. Yes. Okay. The movie gets made. They make the movie. Yes. There's a little bit of controversy because there's a church in the movie that claimed that their crew had like wrecked it or had like caused like permanent damage to this like old historical church. Like what were they claiming happened? Like what? Um, something with a tree. I think there was a tree that was ruined or torn down. Um, there's some like damage done to the, the building itself. Probably I'm assuming from like setting up lights and like moving shit around. Maybe. Yeah. Um, this was later proven not to be true. The, the tree thing did happen, but it was the last people that were there. The previous pe- people who made a movie there. Not not the Quixote crew. Correct. So, but, so they just planted all this blame on Terry Gilliam for shit that either wasn't them or didn't happen. Correct. Fucking hell. <laughs> but aside from that, it gets made. Right. But. But. They, they go to release it. They're, they're going to play it at Cannes. Paulo Bronco. Claims that he still has the rights to Don Quixote. Holy shit, dude. (laughs) And that the movie that they made is the illegal version and doesn't mean shit. And that because they made it without his say-so, he owns the film. So they go to court. (laughs) Okay. And the court sides with Bronco. God damn it. They appeal and appeal and eventually, they say Gilliam has to pay X number of monies to Bronco, but he's allowed to release the movie. Which, fine. Like, okay, let's get 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 this headache out of the way. Let me release my fucking film. Yeah. I think he specifically had to pay him, like, uh, uh, 10,000 pounds, which is more than he deserved, but... Yeah, it's more than he deserved, but also, like, that... After all that fucking headache, that is like a pittance to just get done with it. And now it is finally released. Yes. On Hulu. (laughs) You can finally watch it on Hulu. (laughs) I can't tell you the amount of shit that I cut out that went wrong on that movie. There's more? There's a lot of like legal details. Oh, okay. Um, A lot of like little nitpicky stuff that Bronco did. There was when, when Amazon Studios dropped... Gilliam because he they they th- they thought he, he had, had a stroke. stroke yeah but it's it's out it's finally out it didn't it didn't do super well critically or financially but it's damn it's done <laughs> um I he's I think he's done worse films specifically the Brothers Grimm <laughs> <laughs> okay it it feels like a later Gilliam film where it's like a, it's a bit of a mess there's some fun scenes some great performances some great visuals okay I think if I didn't see what he had in mind 
in the documentary, the the Lost in La Mancha, I probably would have been a little bit more open to it. But like his, he just thought some pretty cool stuff. Okay, obviously never got made. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to watch that documentary. It's a trip. And as of now, that is the most recent film that he's released. Um, if he's keeping to his like four year, I actually I haven't heard anything about him making. He probably you know he can take a break. Yeah, I'm not currently aware of him uh, with having anything in particular in the works. No, me neither. Uh, let's you know I'm gonna pull up his IMDb real quick. Let's see if they're reporting anything. But uh, I've I've always been fascinated by just how much bad luck this guy has making movies. Even if you just look at Brazil and the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, like that is way more bad luck than most filmmakers That's ever a have. lot. Yeah. Um, and then you throw like Baron Munchausen in there. Mm-hmm. But uh, fucking man who killed Don Quixote. Like, holy shit, dude. I wanted to do a fun little side episode on uh, Terry Gilliam. Hope, hope he, he readjusts some of his views and uh, keeps at it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, particularly that last, that uh, adjusts some of the views thing. Maybe listen when people tell you the terrible things happen to them. Yeah. Yeah. No, he as, as of right now, he has no, no, uh, no directorial work in uh, upcoming. The only thing on his IMDb that's listed upcoming right now is a writing credit on a, on a uh, supposed time bandits TV series. Right. Yeah. Uh, which we'll see. Yeah. Wild. This was, this was an intense ride. Good Lord. So how do you feel about our own misadventures as filmmakers having oh, listened to uh, I I feel like I feel like we we don't have a whole lot of room to complain in some respects. Uh, I think I think we face some some unique challenges uh, you know losing actors very close to production time, transportation snafus, weather we, issues. Yeah, we didn't quite have a flood, but we had some We had some gnarly fucking rain yeah. that we had to contend with. Oh my, that was night 1 of shooting. Night 1 in a lake. In a lake. Oh Freezing my god. Cold water we are physically in a lake yeah i'm standing out there with a damn umbrella (laughs) trying to keep you guys dry in between takes like good lord but not a single f-16 in sight we did not you know we didn't have to deal with a single f-16 i think the closest thing to an f-16 we had to deal with were uh (laughs) There's a, a plane or two. But. There was a plane or two, but then, uh, but we more so we had to deal with complaints from uh, Matt's family's neighbors about how fast people were driving up and down. The, oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> Uh, we we shot in this cabin that was like you know fairly secluded, but there was like a whole row of yeah. other people's cabins on the way to it, and apparently some of the cats were driving a little too fast on the gravel drive. Malarkey, just, yeah, stupid. It's, it's if if somebody had actually been driving fast, I would have said something, but I might have come in a little bit hot once. <laughs> oh, so it was you. It was probably me. <laughs> Uh, it was probably uh, me. Okay. I apologized. I had somebody flagged me down and they like chided me uh, for it. I was like, sorry, I'll be more careful. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I was just trying to think of like misfortunes we've had and of in like the cat of the category that has been the most. It's fucking randos that are like, hey, what are you doing? Get out of there. Yeah. Which sometimes is valid, but most times has not been. <laughs> um, 
What are you doing? Oh, my God. I had a good time researching this and having a, an excuse to watch some Gilliam films again. Hell, yeah. Did we what? beat your hangover? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think by the time we got to, to Don Quixote, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, but that's that's okay. I'm, I don't have to do anything the rest of the day. Uh, good. So what do we have coming up next? Uh, coming up next, um, I think we have uh, we have our collaboration with uh, with uh, Antonio Palacios uh, on Caligula coming up next, if I'm not mistaken. Sure do. And then I think after uh, after that, we're gonna have some. Uh, there's gonna be some second unit stuff that I have not quite determined just yet, and and Assassin's Creed. Uh, in, yes. Uh, uh, before we get to the actual end of the season. Yeah, we're getting pretty close. We're getting close. Yeah, yeah it's almost that time. This season's flying by, man. Which is weird considering how much more work we've done on this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we've put out a lot more episodes. We have. I actually I was I was I was counting the other day and including mm-hmm. deleted scenes episodes, we've yeah. released more than fifty episodes. Jesus. Yeah. Well, hey. <laughs> Uh, where can they find those episodes? Oh, you can find those episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you listen to them, please rate and review everywhere you possibly can. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Good Pods, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews go a long way to showing people, you know, how much fun we're having here, how much you're enjoying us, and helps us get into more people's ears. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, we are on Twitter at DerazzledPod, at, uh, on Instagram and TikTok at DeRazzled underscore podcast, and Facebook at DeRazzled Podcast. If you want to request something to get covered in season three, because uh, we're going to be planning for that very shortly here, yeah. send us an email at derazzledpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also request there anything you'd like to see pop up in our uh, in our Redbubble store. Maybe there'll be a Henry Horsinger popping up in there Fuck. at some point in the future. Who knows? <laughs> things I great de- things we put things that we put into the fucking <sighs> universe. I'm so sorry. Now that porno exists. Uh, <laughs> hey, come back next time, or we'll sort of to razzle dazzle you. <laughs>